of their schedule. I get to cram a lot into a very short weekend. So this morning, I'm going to try to cram a lot into the time that we have because I think there's some exciting things here for us. Maybe there's some some passages in the Word of God where, as you've been reading them, it's just a it's a fun section where you read this, you're like, ah, that's a, I like that story. Or I like that what that's there. I was thinking about some of my favorites in Judges 3. Well, it's a great story. And I think this is the youth side of me that's, that's on this one. You have a man who goes, who's left-handed. You may understand the, the story. I'm going to briefly touch this one. He has, he's left-handed. He has a dagger. He hides the dagger. He runs, he goes into the king and he stabs him. My favorite phrase in there, and the dirt came out. And you're like, that's terrible. Why would you bring that up? Because we're going to talk about phrases in the word of God. Here's the second one. Let's look at this one, actually. Genesis chapter number one. I want to have you turn to a couple passages here this morning because I think it's fantastic to see some of these. Here's a passage in Genesis chapter one in which there's a phrase that gets used that to me, every time I read it, it's just, I'm excited each time I read it. It's so, so unique. In the creation account, Genesis chapter 1, verse number 16, the Bible says, And God made two great lights, the greater to rule the day and the lesser to rule the night. I notice even on your your artwork here, depicting some of that. But my favorite phrase in this verse, you may have noticed it already, He made the stars also. Like almost it's an afterthought. It's one of my favorite phrases. And now that we don't live in the city of Portland or Beaverton and live out in Grass Valley, I walk outside and there's stars just in abundance. When I go out, I was not used to that, uh, being in the city. And when I think, when I walk outside and just, there's so many stars to see. I think of this verse every time he made the stars also. It's this phrase that's kind of like seemingly an afterthought. There are phrases in the word of God or even individual words that as we look at them, they have incredible power. They have so much. If we just took a moment to think about them, just took a moment to, to, to ponder what, what those things, what those, what those words mean. Let's take the, let the word if. Two letters in it. Yeah, there's so many times in the word of God a, a statement is made or something, um, is a, a passage that, that uses the word if. And if we don't actually understand it properly, we misunderstand it, we can misapply it. But there's some great promises that are even conditional that if we truly understand the word if, it helps us in understanding it. First John 1, 9. A great example of that. If we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love that second half, that God is faithful, that he will forgive, but that first part, if. I'd like for us this, this morning to look at another word, a conjunction, that's found in the Word of, the word of God over 4,000 times. We're not going to look at all 4,000 this morning. You might look at the clock and go, that's not. But I, there are 46 times that that conjunction is used with another word. The conjunction is the word, but just three letters in it, and I'm going to combine it with the word God. Three more letters. This combination of words here in the word of God uh, is found 46 times. In those 46 times, as you look at each one of those, we're going to look at just a handful this morning, I think there's some great application to the truth that's found in those. But in order for us to look at so many different places, I would like for us to look at some verses, look at the background, and look at some application. Be ready to listen fast because we're going to actually cruise through some of these. I think there's some incredible truth that if we take a moment this morning and just ponder what what is said there, God can use it in our heart to encourage us, to motivate us. Um, We can be encouraged with the decisions and choices that we make, that we can be uh, encouraged with what, what God is doing. Here's some key thoughts I want us to think about and we'll open here in prayer. 
that in every situation, that in everything that goes, goes on, God knows, God understands, and God loves us, and God is in control. That God knows, that God understands, that God loves us, and that God is in control. I'd like for us to see some of those. Let's open here in prayer. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to look in your word this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to be encouraged, to be even motivated by your great love for us as we see some of these passages and see some of these things that you have for us here in your word that we can just live our lives differently from the, from the things that we cover, from the information that we find, that we glean from the word of God, that we would be uh, greater servants of you as we live our lives for you. We pray that you would just bless this time. Give me the words to say, help us to listen with intent, intently, with attentive ears, just to, to change, to live in light of the scripture here this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may still be in the book of Genesis. Let's go to Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. Again, I already said I'm going to talk fast, so hopefully we can cover a couple of these. I put a couple of these verses up on the screen to help us move quickly through it, because I really like for us to see this. In Genesis chapter 50, you have the story of Joseph. It's at the end of chapter 49. Um, Jacob pa- passes away. Jo- J- beginning of chapter 50, Joseph is asking for permission to bury his father. He's granted, he goes, everyone goes. Um, it's, in fact, verse number 9 of chapter 50, uh, it says, And they went up with him, both chariots and horsemen, and it was a very great company. So everyone's going uh, to go bury uh, his father. But if you jump down to verse number 15, the Bible says, And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us, and will certainly uh, requite us all the evil that we did unto him. They're scared. Is basically what's happening. Verse 15, verse 16. They sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command thee before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee, the trespass of thy brethren and their sins, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespasses of the servants of God and the Father. And Joseph wept when he, they spake unto him. They're saying, Hey, remember what Dad said? you got to forgive us. He's sad. Joseph's crying, verse number 17, and we'll see why here in just a moment. His brethren went out and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God? Notice verse number 20. Verse number 20, we're going to see something here. It says, "For For as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. To bring it to pass, that is this day, to save much people alive. I'd like to just look at a number of contrasts using these two three-letter words, but God. This first contrast, God's will or God's plan. As you saw in that verse, for as you, you, you thought evil against me, but God had a different plan. You know, sometimes we have it all planned out what we think it's going to be, and it doesn't work out that way. God has a different plan. I think one of the greatest applications here is, 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 is kind of several things, really, as I think about it. Think of Joseph's attitude. You know, he had, humanly speaking, every right to be upset, every right to take vengeance, to, to return the evil that had been done to him, but he, he offers forgiveness. He responds with this kindness. A couple key things in this application of this contrast of, of God's will or man's will, our plan God knows, God understands, God loves us, and God is in control. Think about what Joseph went through. It was out of his control. Yet he 
got to the point in his life where he recognized, you know, God's in control and I can trust God. That, that phrase right there, to me, again, amazing. But as for you, you thought evil against me, but God meant it unto good. You notice the result, though? He has the right attitude. What's the result? To bring it to pass as this, this day to save much people alive. It wasn't part of his plan. It wasn't part of God's plan. Who gets the glory? God does. Yeah. That, that's, that's, a, that's an amazing thing. Let's move quickly through another contrast here. Let's go to First Chronicles, if you would. First Chronicles, just a few chapters over. First Chronicles. Let's look at a, another passage. In First Chronicles chapter number 28, we see another contrast that takes place using this, this phrase. First Chronicles chapter number 8, King, King David, he's addressing the leaders. Um, he brings everybody together, verse number 1, verse number 2, he talks about what he wanted. It says, Then King David stood up upon his feet and said, Hear me, my brethren and my people. For as me, as me, I had in mine heart to build a house of rest under the ark of the covenant of the Lord, for the footstool of our God, and had made he ready the building. Remember back in chapter 17, he had said, This was my desire, this is what I wanted to do. But something takes place. Let's look at it. We'll put it up on the screen. Verse number three says, But God said unto me, Thou shalt not build a house for my name, because thou hast been a man of war and hast shed blood. What do we do when God changes our plans? He had said, I, This is what I want to do. Was it a good thing? Well, yeah. In fact, it was a great thing. Let me build this house for God. Let me do this. This is actually going to be a sign for the, the other people, the other nations. Let me do this good thing. And God says, no. What do we do when God says no to our plans? What we've put together and said, this is what I think God's going to have for me to do. I think there's only kind of two results that can take place. As I think about the application here, we could, as maybe I've been tempted to do, or you or yourself, we get upset. We get bitter. We say, no, God, I have a great plan. Look at how I'm going to help you. Yeah. And God says, no, I have a different plan. This passage starting off with those two small words, but God said unto me, he's like, I had this plan, but, but God said, no. Sometimes we have good desires. We have good plans. We'd like to convince God why we need to do that. Here, David had this great plan, but it needs to be, it must be in accordance to God's will. That we don't go to God and say, yeah, here's the plan for my life. I've already decided this is how I'm going to serve you. What do we do when God says, no, I got a different plan? This was the case in my life as a young teenager. I had it all figured out. I knew what I was going to do. And this is one of those, but God had a different plan. And I can look back on it and say, wow, God had an amazing plan. I'm excited for what the next plan, what the next thing God's doing. Because I've seen the faithfulness of God in the past. David wanted to build this, but, but God said, no. We see this contrast just in these two small words here. God has a perfect plan. As they're discussing this idea, let's look at another contrast, this one of strength. In Psalm chapter 73, thank you for turning around a couple of these passages. I know we're moving quickly, but as we get to the end of this, this concept of these two words, I think it's helpful for us. In Psalm chapter 73, the writers really highlighting the fact that they're not happy with seeing the prosperity among the wicked. 
says in verse number 3, For when I was envious of the foolish, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, verse number 12, jumping down, Behold, these are ungodly who prosper in the world and, and increase in riches. And they're just looking around saying, why is it that the, the ungodly seem to have these things? Why is it that uh, the, these things seem to go well? And there's kind of this, this sadness of heart or just, you might even say depression. Why is it going this way? But I want you to just look down at the end of this chapter. Verse number 26. The Bible says, My flesh and my heart faileth. Maybe you've felt like that before. You get to that point where you're just like, I'm just tired and sad and sick and tired of being sick and tired. And it says, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You know, if we dig deep, we try to find the, the, the strength within ourselves, it will fail us. Right. It won't be enough. But the reminder, the psalmist says, but God is the strength of my heart. I, I read that passage and I'm so encouraged because I can find myself where they were saying, oh, it's just, it's just not the way I thought it was going to be and this didn't go the way I wanted and this, this thing isn't working out, this situation, this scenario. But God is the strength of my heart. Amen. And as we take a moment to think about God knows, God understands, God loves us, God's in control, what do I have to worry about? Mm, yeah. We tend to worry too much. I know I do. But I think of this passage, strength. This contrast of what strength am I relying on? Let's look at another one of strength or of deliverance in 1 Samuel. You've got, the, you've got um, David. He's been, um, been pursued uh, much. Uh, and he's on the run. He receives word that the Philistines are attacking. And he's like, well, what can I do? How can I go do this? But look at this verse here. David abode in the wilderness and the strongholds and remained in a mountain in the wilderness. Notice at the end of the verse it says, And Saul sought him every day. <laughs> that would be, that'd be rough. Yeah. That would not be great. I ran some paintball events yesterday. There were people seeking after people. A little later we did gel blasters. There were people seeking after to attack them. That's an hour and a half of a day. And then it's done. This is every day. Saul sought him every day. Was it to shoot him with a paintball gun? No. He sought his life. But God delivered him not into his hand. Who's in control? Where does our deliverance come from? Well, it comes from God. And sometimes we can look to the wrong places, look to the wrong things. And as I look at this passage, I'm reminded we need to not abandon where our faith lies. Because as you read the whole passage, you don't even have time to read the, the whole context of this. But he's been running for his life, and it's almost like God's now saving him at the last moment. At the last possible time where he could have been delivered, God is doing that. Saul's army's closing in. Um, he's seeing no way out of the predicament. What's the reminder? Saul sought him every day, but God, hmm, but God delivered him. Maybe you're in a situation, you're at a time where it seems like in this situation, where is God? How do I get out of this? What do I do? Remember this contrast of just these two words, where our deliverance, where our um, deliverance comes from. Let's look at another one here. Again, thank you so much. We're going to keep cruising through some more contrasts here. Wisdom. We'll contrast our wisdom with God's wisdom. In the New Testament, in the book of 1 Corinthians, we'll have a couple passages in 1 Corinthians I want us to see. 1 Corinthians, again, our context... Paul's writing uh, from Ephesus to the church at Corinth. 
this church that had a lot of struggles, and I'd like to pick on them, but then I recognize I have some of the same struggles, and I've seen the same things. But in 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, he highlights the, the contrast here, because sometimes it would be easy, actually, uh, for us to, to, to say, well, I think I know how God should, should do this, how it should take place. Look at this verse 27. His contrast is, but God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that were mighty. Where does wisdom come from? Well, it comes from God. In this passage, to look at our rest of our contra- context here, he's saying, you know, where, where does this wisdom come from? Is it man's wisdom? Where, who, what am I giving you? He's like, well, I'm going to give you the word of God, but God chooses things that we wouldn't choose. If it were up to me, I would say just that we would somehow use more than the means that God has chosen that the gospel would go out. But you know, God's plan has always been God's people tell the lost. Yeah. And if in my mind, I'm thinking, let's go beyond that. Let's go big. Let's no, it's God's plan that God's people tell the lost about Jesus Christ. It's always been his plan. And I, I believe, actually, that at every time throughout all of time, God's plan could be fulfilled. God didn't create a plan that's impossible. It's always been that God's plan is God's people tell the lost. It's, it's not the way I would have done it, but in my mind, this is what God is saying. He goes, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the things that are wise. Why? I ask myself, well, then why would it be that way? You know, he tells us in this passage, look at verse number 29, that no flesh should glory in his presence. As you look down, verse number 31, that according as written, he that glorieth and let him glory in the Lord. Why does God choose those things? So that God gets the glory. You know, if it was about us, we could say, hey, I did this. But it's not about us. Actually, never has been and never will be. It's always been about him. And if we can uh, highlight, hey, God chose this and it's God's plan that it goes this way, then God gets the glory. This, this phrase right here, but God hath chosen. That's just a contrast of what God chose versus what we would have chosen. And I think that's an, an, an important reminder for us. Let's look over in chapter number three. We have another contrast that's given. This, this is a good contrast for anyone who has the opportunity to share the word of God as you think about this, this source of power. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 and 7, it says, I have planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. So then neither he that wa- planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God giveth the increase. This contrast of words, these two words together, reminds us, again, it's not about us. It's always been about him. The first part of that passage, it was about these people saying, well, verse number 4, for I am of Paul, I'm of Apollos. Who are these people? He's saying, what, who's the true source of living the, this eternal life? Who, who's the true source of giving salvation? It's not the people. It's not the speaker. Right. It's God. Right. And as, and as we remember that, it helps us to remember not to th- think too highly of ourselves. Right. We have the unique opportunity at camp to present the gospel a lot. And we'll have the opportunity to see people saved, maybe even more regularly than a, than a church might. Just because, again, people get away, get a chance for a decision. Is it about us? No, it's not. God giveth the increase. What a great reminder as I think of this application here. But let me look at this one here, comfort. Not only is it a contrast, but it's a comfort. In Second Chronicles, I'm going to highlight a, a passage here. I'll put it on the screen so we can look at it and save some, some time to look back. 
you have this vast army, actually a combined army, waging war against Judah, Jehoshaphat, uh, there in, in chapter 20. Uh, he's leading the people to seek the Lord in prayer, to seek the Lord in fasting. Um, they're acknowledging, in fact, their power, they, they don't know what to do. They don't know how to, to handle this. Look at the reminder that was given to him. In Second Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15, it starts out, and he said, Hearken ye all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, nor dismayed, by reason of this great multitude. There's a big army. Don't worry about it. Why? For the battle is not yours, but God's. Put yourself in their shoes. Multiple other nations are combined in an army. They're at your doorstep to attack. You've been seeking the Lord and fasting and prayer. What do we do? We don't know what to do. And then you're told by God, the battle's not yours, it's God's. I couldn't think of a greater comfort than those words coming from God directly to say, don't worry about it. The battle is not yours. What great comfort. And the amount of times we go through life where there's a difficulty, something seemingly insurmountable, something we cannot survive. We won't make it. We go to God in prayer and we're begging God to do something in this situation. And God says, I've got it. Don't worry about it. Again, we're reminded, God knows. God understands. God cares. God loves us. And God is in control. God is so good to us. Maybe you're still there in 1 Corinthians. Let's look at uh, another quick one here about our faithful God, the comfort that is there. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 the Bible reminds us there hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. Well, that's a good reminder. I'm not going to face something brand new. But then it says, but God is faithful. What is he faithful to do? He will not suffer to be tempted above you or able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. I started memorizing this verse as a teenager, actually uniquely enough at the Dean's house with Steve Dean. We were discussing this verse one day, my dad and myself. We're talking about these things as a teenager. We face all kinds of things. About, what are we supposed to do with this? And the reminder was, hey, you go through a trial, you go through a temptation, you know what you do? You look for the exit sign. Where, where's my way out? How do, how do I navigate this? But you know the reminder that's here that's great, using these two words? God is faithful. Now, looking at your church theme and things that I've seen, the faithfulness of God, we could have spent all morning just talking about the faithfulness of God. But look at this just specifically when we're going through something difficult, a trial, a temptation that we're like, I I don't know what is next. How am I supposed to get out of this? You know, God is faithful. And he's he's faithful not just to um, get us out of it. He's just faithful to not give us more than he knows we can handle with his strength. That he gives the strength to match the situation so that way we can be able to bear it. What a great reminder of what God has done there. And that he can, he can help us. Those two words. Let's look at maybe just one more passage here. And I, had, I, I know we had comfort and we had things. I used a word just because I needed the alliteration. But I'm really going to talk about forgiveness and salvation. Um, because in, in the contrast, the comfort... Forgive the need for alliteration, but I I put that on there. Let me jump to Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians chapter number 2. And I'm going to probably just highlight two verses I put up on the screen. Back in in Luke chapter number 2, 
the 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 statement is made. Um, Luke chapter number two, verse number five. I'm going to put that one up on the screen real quick. The scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this that blaspheme, that speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive but God alone? Think of Luke chapter five. This is that amazing story where the guy who is sick of the palsy has his friends lower him through the roof, and he's healed by God, and then everyone's like, Who's this? You can't heal. Only God can do that. He's like, Right. You're right. You're absolutely right. I love this one because it's like, who can forgive but God alone? Yeah, who can forgive but God alone? Yeah. Amen that he does. Amen. So let's look at this, this contrast, Ephesians chapter number 2. And then we'll wrap this up. When we talk about salvation, we talk about what God has done. Let's look at starting the beginning of chapter 2. This is an incredible passage. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Who's that? That's all of us. Dead in trespasses and sins. Where in a time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh the children of disobedience, among whom, among whom also had our conversation in time past the lust of our fle- flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as others. He's painted a pretty bad picture of who we were. These people who were dead, spiritually dead. Look at the contrast. Verse number four. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins. Hath he quickened or made alive? Hath he quickened us together with Christ? By grace are you saved. What an incredible reminder. Again, a passage we probably could have taken all morning talking about where do we identify? Where do we get our identity? It's not found in our career, in our job, in our roles, our responsibilities. It's found in what God has done. Do we find ourselves in the beginning of the passage that we're dead? That we've not placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation? Or do we find ourselves, as it says, but God who is rich in his mercy, that we've said, God's mercy is for me. His grace is for me. And by faith, I put my trust in him. Verse 5 at the beginning, at the end of it says, by grace are you saved. What a reminder. We're reminded about what God has done, that we were dead. We had nothing. And he who is rich in mercy and love and grace offered it to us. But God, who is rich in those things. And let's look at one more passage here in Romans chapter 5. An incredible verse to remind us using these two small words, a conjunction and the, the, the noun for our God, the one we serve, the creator of all. Romans 5.8. But God commendeth. He gave his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I can't think of a better verse than to give that big contrast of God's love. But God committed. You could go the, the entire passage highlighting the fact that who we were, uh, what we had. Verse, uh, starting verse number 5, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, so verse number 1, sorry. And then verse 2, By whom we have access by faith unto this grace, wherein wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope and the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in tribulation also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience. That reminder of what that's going to do in verse 4, and patience, experience, experience, hope, and hopeth maketh not ashamed. It says, verse number 6, for when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. And then this reminder, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. If peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die, but God commended his love toward us. That even though we were the dead in sin people, he died for us. 
This morning, we've looked at many different passages very quickly about what God has done. You're looking at two words, just two contrast words or comparisons, but God. Maybe you're here and you're going through something that's difficult, something that's been trying, that's been hard. Just remember the comfort that's there. Remember the, the contrast of God's faithfulness. God knows. God understands. God cares. God loves us. And God is in control. Whatever it is this week, maybe even later today, that something comes up tomorrow, something at work or at home, and you're like, this is not what I wanted. But God knows. But God understands. But God loves us and God loves me and He is in control. Where, where do I put my trust? Is it in me and my things or is it, let me just trust God. That God has a plan. That God knows what He's doing. Incredible two little words for us to look at here this morning and Maybe there's been something, as we've spent some time looking at it, you've just thought, you know, I needed that this morning. Take that moment to thank God's Holy Spirit for pointing that out. Ask Him to help you through that, navigate that throughout this week. Maybe you're here this morning and you're like, you know, I haven't put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. That's where this journey with God of seeing God's faithfulness over long periods of time begins, is by putting our faith and trust in Him. As you have an opportunity to be thinking on these things, let me just encourage us. I know I spoke quickly. I know he covered a lot of ground. Thank you for hanging in there with me um, because there's so much in just these two small words. Let me just encourage us. Throughout today, throughout this week, God knows. God understands. God cares. God loves us so much. God is in control. Let's pray. Father, as we are now at the point of the end of our time here in the Word, as we have thought about maybe some things that you've been pointing out in our life, Lord, I recognize that your Holy Spirit can be doing so much in our heart just now, encouraging us in the areas that we need encouragement, admonishing us, encouraging us to, to make some changes. But as we take just a, a few quiet moments, as we think about what you would have for us, help us to make great application. That we don't just come away from a time in your word and say, amen, that was right. But Lord, that you would help us to make application to our life. That we may live differently because of the time spent in your word. Lord, that you would just continue to do that work in our heart as we submit to your Holy Spirit's leading, your, your work in our life, that God, you would do what only you can. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. As I turn the service over to Pastor Dean, we think of what God is doing.